Welcome to Church on the Edge, a podcast designed to challenge you and help you rethink what church is and what church should be. This is your host, Dan Armistead. You can learn more about me on my website, danarmistead.com, and follow me through my regular post under the heading of Church on the Edge on both medium.com and substack.com, where I invite and challenge you to live life on the edge like Jesus. The very first of the Ten Commandments says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. And then it continues with these words, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And yet that is exactly what God's people Israel did. And at the conclusion of their time at Mount Sinai, after Israel received the commandments and entered into covenant relationship with God, Moses, speaking prophetically, says to the people, you are going to commit idolatry and God is going to judge and punish you. You will go into exile because of your sin of idolatry. And you're going to become slaves in other nations. And that is exactly what happened to Israel. And even when God led his people back to the promised land, it wasn't like it had been before their conquest and exile, so that in the days of Jesus, Israel was under Roman rule. I mean, they were still, in effect, slaves, this time in their own land, which technically was Roman land. The law... The Torah, the covenant at Sinai, did not produce a holy nation, a nation of priests, as God clearly stated when he gave the law to Israel. In fact, instead of producing a holy nation and a nation of priests, that law at Sinai produced a nation of idolaters. (laughs) Now, Paul deals with this paradox, this seeming inconsistency of the law to produce godly people in the book of Romans. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? And he answers his question and he says, absolutely not. God forbid is how some translations render it. And then Paul makes this amazing and enlightening statement. He says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, he says this, When the commandment, or the law, when the commandment came, sin sprang to life in me. And then a few verses later, in verse 13, he says that through the commandment, sin became utterly sinful. (coughs) And then Paul, excuse me, and then Paul launches into those well-known verses found in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Listen as I read. We know that the law is spiritual. Good. 
God-given. I mean, you shall not steal, don't kill, don't covet, don't worship other gods. Those are good laws, good rules, basic or elementary principles, if you will, for life and health and peace. We know that the law is spiritual, Paul says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And what is the result of that? What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, understanding that from the very beginning, the law given at Mount Sinai, while good in and of itself, meant to produce a holy people and a nation of priests, the law, while in and good of itself, ended up producing a nation of idolaters just as Moses prophesied that it would at Sinai. And those idolaters, Israel, the Jews, they weren't produced by the law, no, On the contrary, the law just provoked the idolatrous hearts that were already in them. So that in a very real sense, at least in this regard, Israel was no different from the Gentiles, their pagan nations. Both were idol worshipers. And both, in order to be set free from their idolatrous hearts, could only know that freedom by faith by trusting what Jesus did when he suffered the curse of sin on Calvary's cross and when he conquered death by his sinless and, yes, his perfect law-keeping life, Jesus fulfilled the law completely. Both Jews and Gentiles, Israel and the nations, came to know and to understand that until Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the King, was revealed in what Paul calls here the fullness of time, they, both Jews and Gentiles, were living under the elementary principles of the world. And those elementary principles pointed to and led both Jews and Gentiles to place their faith, their trust in Christ. But after their work was done... Those elementary principles were no longer needed. They were, in fact, as Paul refers to them here, weak and worthless. Now, with that as an introduction, with that in mind, we're going to be looking today at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And it is a passage that I have entitled, Weak and Worthless. Now, There's an important Greek word in this passage. It's the word stoikia. Paul says in verse 3 that when we were underage, we were in slavery to the stoikia. Now, different translations render this word stoikia in different ways. For example, the NIV translates stoikia as elemental spiritual forces. The English Standard Version or the ESV, as it's often referred to, translates stoikia as elementary principles. And frankly, that's the translation I like best, and later I think you'll understand why. But then in the easy-to-read version, the ERV, they translate stoikia as useless rules. (laughs) But all these translations are simply seeking to drive home the point that Paul began in chapter 3, 
when he described how the law for the Jews, the same law, I might add, that began with God saying, you shall have no other gods before me, no graven images that you bow down to and serve, which is, of course, as we said, is exactly what the Jews did. But Paul says the law held God's people, Israel, in custody. That's what he says back in chapter 3 of Galatians. They were in custody, locked up, he says, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. The law, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 24, served as our guardian until Christ came. And we came to understand that only by trusting Jesus could we be delivered from our idolatrous hearts and become true sons of Abraham, children of God, redeemed and delivered to serve him. Now, that's what we looked at last week in Galatians chapter 3. And this week, as we come to the opening verses of chapter 4, you need to understand that Paul is continuing with that same image, that same picture of the law as our guardian. But what he's going to do is drive home the point that both Jews who had the law and Gentiles who did not, both were idolaters, and both were under what the NIV calls the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And let me pause here to say this. Anything that takes the place of God in our hearts and lives is an idol. And to help you understand what I'm saying here and how sneaky and insidious idolatry can be, even something as good as preaching and Bible teaching can become an idol. Now, I know this as someone called and gifted by God to teach his word. I love the Bible. I love studying it. I love teaching it to others. But if that's where I find my identity... If my allegiance and my passion are wrapped up in the study and teaching of Scripture, then I've actually turned the Bible into my idol. I've shared with you on numerous occasions that passage in John chapter 5, verses 37 through 39. Jesus is telling the religious leaders in his day this. He says, you know, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life. And yet those scriptures point to me, and you don't come to me, the one who has the eternal life. Jesus says the scriptures are the means to the end, but the truth is that by Jesus' day, Israel, the Jews, in an attempt to avoid going back into exile and hopefully experience the coming of their promised Messiah, the Jews became obsessed with not breaking the laws of God's covenant that were given to them at the mountain. They even added what were known as fence laws, that is, laws on top of the Sinai laws, laws that were meant to serve as fences keeping Israel from breaking any of the actual Sinai laws that God had given them. (laughs) But the fact is that by doing this, by focusing on the laws themselves rather than the God who gave those laws, Israel ended up worshiping the laws rather than the God who gave the laws. Think of all the conflict and confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders over things like Sabbath and ritual washings. Those confrontations show the difference between Jesus' heart that was turned to the Father 
and the hearts of the leaders who worship the laws rather than the God who gave those laws. That is idolatry. I want you to listen to these words by Tim Keller. These come from his study guide on Galatians, and I'm quoting here. If anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because it is less obvious. And so idolatry is the essence and sign of the sinful hearts of men and women all over the world. And anything we place above or before or in place of God, it's an idol. Anything we give our allegiance to other than God is an idol. And it's with those things in mind that I'm going to walk through these Galatians, these verses found in Galatians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible open, you can follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, ESV will work just as well or any other scripture, but just understand I'm reading from the New International Version. And here's what he says. What I am saying, Paul begins, is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the entire estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees. And remember, here we see Paul picking back up on the idea of guardian that he talked about in the previous chapter, in chapter 3. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, here's that idea of a will and an inheritance. We talked about this last week again when we looked at at the closing words in Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to listen to what he says next in verse 3. So also, when we were underage, and the idea of underage is just simply referring to our lives before we trusted Jesus. When we were underage, he says, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And I believe that the we that Paul uses here refers to both Jews and Gentiles because, as we've noted at the beginning of the podcast, basically both Jews and Gentiles were idolaters. Both served elemental spiritual forces. And then in verse 4 of chapter 4, Paul includes both Jews and Gentiles when he makes this statement. Listen, but when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now I want to pause here for just a moment. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. In other words, Paul is saying, when it was just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus. And then I want you to listen carefully to what he says next. Born of a woman, born under the law. That's an important phrase. And I want to break that down, okay? Born of a woman. In other words, just like the Jews and Gentiles, all people, Jew, Gentile, whoever, all of us have been born of a woman. There are no exceptions to that. But then Paul singles out the Jews in the rest of that phrase when he says born under the law. Again, that's the Sinai Covenant, the Ten Commandments. Jesus was an Israelite. He was born under the law. 
And he gives us the reason that Jesus the Jew was born under the law when he goes on and says this, in order that he might redeem those under the law. Now, we've talked about this. Jesus did what no other Jew did. He kept the law perfectly. And on Calvary's cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all his Jewish brothers and sisters when he became a curse and suffered for their inability to keep the law. And so Paul says Jesus came, and at just the right time, the time set by God, he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. And then I want you to notice what he goes on to say. That we, and he's talking the we here refers to Jews, that we, us Jews, might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, that we might become God's children. But then Paul makes an inclusive statement, one that brings the Gentiles into the fold of sonship when he says this, now because you are his sons, remember he's talking to the Gentile Christians in Galatia, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And again, through this statement, there's the inclusion again. Listen, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. He could have said into all of our hearts. And through this statement, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Through this statement, Paul is speaking of both Jews and Gentiles, of all who've placed their faith in Jesus. God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts. The spirit, he says... And I love this next phrase, who cries out, Abba, Father. That's a tender Aramaic word. It's, it's baby talk, really. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Son of God enters our hearts, and all of a sudden, God becomes Abba, Daddy. Do you hear in those words the intimacy of our relationship with God that comes through Jesus? And then next comes this powerful personal word for each of those Gentile believers in Galatia. As you can imagine, just imagine them. The letters arrive from Paul. They're sitting and listening to the letter as it's being read. And when Paul comes to verse 7, he says, So you, and listen carefully, the word translated you here is singular. Up to now, it's been plural, you all. Paul has spoken to both Jews and Gentiles as God's son through faith in Christ. But now, all of a sudden, Paul makes it very, very personal. And he says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And I want you to notice that child is singular, not children, but child. You are God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And in verse 8, Paul is speaking directly to the Gentiles, those born of a woman, not born under the law like Jews, but like Jews and all people, those born of a woman. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature are not gods. He's talking about the stoichia that we talked about earlier, the elemental spiritual forces, idols, 
which again were the problem for both Jews and Gentiles, ultimately you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, he continues, and then notice that he corrects himself and says, or rather are known by God. (laughs) You hear the difference? But now that you know God, or rather you are known by God. In other words, God took the initiative. God deal, did the revealing. Actually, he, this is looking back to what he said in verse 4 about the appointed time when God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. He says, so now that you know God or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces, those weak and worthless things? In other words, he's talking here about the stoichia, the Elementary principles, the elemental spiritual forces. How is it that you turn back to those weak and worthless forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again, he asked? And then in verse 10, he explains what he means, how this re-enslavement happens. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. All of what Paul says here comes back to and revolves around the stoichia, the ABCs, elementary principles, the useless rules. This is actually some of the most brilliant writing and thinking in the New Testament because through this one word, stoichia, which could be used in many different ways, just like a lot of our English words are used in different ways. But through this one word, Paul is showing that both Jews and Gentiles have been set free from their idolatrous hearts through faith in Jesus. And the reason he warns them that they're about to be enslaved all over again by observing special days and seasons and months and years is because is because if the Gentiles in Galatia choose to be circumcised and come under the Sinai covenant, the Torah, with all its rules and regulations, Sabbath observances, festivals like Pentecost and Passover, the festival of the unleavened bread, if they do that, they're just going back to the very thing Christ has delivered both Jews and Gentiles from. The ABCs that were meant to lead them to faith and the fulfillment that came in the fullness of time when God sent his son Jesus to redeem all of those who would trust him in Lord as Lord would be undone. (laughs) So Paul says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to all these special observances. You're just making the, the law, the elementary principles, your observances and rituals, whether they're pagan or whether the Sinai covenant, you're just making them their your God. You're going back into idolatry. And he says, I fear that I have just wasted my time with you. Well, maybe maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Dan, so what? I mean, fine, glad to know that. But, you know, how does all this shake out in today's world? How does this apply to our walk of faith today? Well, let's talk about that. And just as the key to understanding this passage is found in that word stoichia, that same word unlocks the meaning and application for this passage in our lives today. Now, the word stoichia is used seven times in the New Testament. 
It's used twice here in Galatians. We also find it used twice in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It's used twice in Colossians chapter 2. And it's used once in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. In 2 Peter, the apostle is talking about the basic elements of the world, of planet Earth. And he's, he's talking about the return of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what he says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements, there's that word, storkaya, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's storkaya in Second Peter. Now, listen to the same word used in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But in fact, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Again, elementary truths there is stoichia applied in a different way. But the passage, I think, that sheds the most light on our verses in Galatians and the use of the word stoichia there is found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Over the years, as scholars have studied the use of the word storkaya here, the most common understanding of the use of the word is that it refers to religious principles, what we've been talking about, specifically religion before and religion apart from Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is referring to in this passage we've read. And you see, in that way, both religious Jews and polytheist pagan Gentiles well, they were both captive to these stoichia, these elementary religious principles. And again, as we noted in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul calls him weak and worthless. Now, I want you to understand something. It's not like those Gentiles in Galatia had never observed special religious days and months and seasons, special rituals. No, they'd had plenty of those things as, as pagans. Every time I travel to India, it seems like there's a festival honoring some god there, some kind of rituals they're going through. I mean, when you have 330 million gods and goddesses, you're uh, you're going to be worshiping some god on a particular day. But these, these polytheists in Galatia, these uh, pagans who had been worshiping multiple gods, they had their days and months, their special seasons. And now after they've trusted Christ and Christ and been delivered from those things, they're no longer observing all those things. These Jewish Christians come along and try to get them to adopt Torah and observe all the laws given in the Torah. And basically, if they did that, what these Gentiles would be doing would be swapping trust or faith in Jesus for religious rules, rules that in fact only serve to show how sinful and how far from God people really were. Remember what I said earlier about how the Jews ended up worshiping the laws rather than the God who gave the laws? 
Again, this was a source of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, constant conflict. And I want you to listen to me when I say it's so easy to do that in our own lives, to take something that is meant for good, something that in fact helps point us to God and encourage and equip us in our walk with God and to turn that very thing, that good thing, into an idol. You see, whenever the means becomes the end, we are committing idolatry. Bible study, prayer, Scripture, memorization, fasting, all of these things are good things. And and frankly, we should be doing, practicing all of these things to, to grow and mature in Christ. These are the things that are meant to lead us into a deeper faith walk with our Lord. But if we're not careful, we're going to make these things the end rather than the means to the end. And when we do that, we are placing ourselves back under the elementary principles, the storkaya of the world. So keep your eyes on the goal. Set your heart and affections toward a day-by-day walk with Christ. And by all means, read and study and memorize Scripture. Practice fasting and spend time in prayer. But remember, these things are the tools, the means to the end. And the end is a growing, maturing walk of faith with our Lord, with Jesus. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on the goal Help us to keep our eyes on you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Father, deliver us from the idols that we so easily cling to and gravitate toward, the elementary principles, the stoikia, that ultimately simply bring us into bondage and keep us from that true, growing, intimate relationship with you through your Son, Jesus pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Church on the Edge with Dan Armistead, rethinking what church is and what church should be. If you like this episode, please leave a review at your preferred podcast provider, and you can find out more about this podcast as well as my articles, coming books, and more at danarmistead.com. And remember, it's all about Jesus and following him as his church on the edge.